You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter. Go to assemblycall.com slash join today and sign up for free. That's assemblycall.com slash join. This week's edition of the Assembly Call is brought to you by SeatGeek. As you know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have SeatGeek on my phone. I've used it several times in the last year. I used it when Yogi Ferrell was playing for the Mavericks and went to see a couple of games. Used it to buy my wife tickets to a concert, so I can personally vouch for it. I use it. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats to any event that I want to go to. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and help you find amazing deals. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 64th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 386th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, February 15th, 2018. I'm your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And for the banner moment, I want to take you back to the first half of the Illinois game from Wednesday evening and to the 7-0 run that was sparked by Al Durham and Justin Smith early in the first half. It took IU from being down 14-12 after a sluggish early start to being up 19-14, sparked an overall 14-0 run. And the Hoosiers never really looked back from that moment on, save for kind of that one little lull in the second half when Illinois got it down to two and Jawan Morgan made that huge block on LaRon Black, which happened to be last night's banner moment. But I want to spend some time on the freshmen, and we're going to talk about them a little bit later in the show as well, because Al and Justin, who have obviously been very up and down in Big Ten play, as you would expect from freshmen, scored 13 of Indiana's first 19 points. And they were important points for a team that was you know, kind of struggling out of the gate, You know, some upperclassmen, uh, a little bit sluggish, as I mentioned. For those guys to come out and really provide that spark off the bench was huge. And 
more so than just coming in and scoring, it was the way that they showed enhancements to their offensive arsenal. You know, they showed kind of new tricks in their bag. We saw Justin Smith, you know, going off the dribble from outside the three-point line and, and finishing through contact a couple of times. We saw Al Durham knock down a couple more three-pointers and have that nice backdoor cut at the end of the game, showing really nice recognition and a nice ability to finish. And as we go through the end of this season, obviously, you know, we all hold out the slimmest of hopes that Indiana can somehow find their way into the NCAA tournament, although, you know, fighting for an NIT berth seems much more likely right now. But whether Indiana makes any type of tournament or not, or, you know, finishes the season on a, on a nice win streak or some kind of flourish, what's really important in these games down the stretch is that young guys take the next steps to becoming even more consistent contributors next year. And while Devontae Green struggled in the Illinois game, we've certainly seen him seen him take some positive steps over the five or six games previous to that. And hopefully what we saw from Al and Justin on Wednesday night was a sign that they're ready to finish the season strong and end their freshman season building some momentum heading into what should be hopefully successful sophomore campaigns for both of them. All right, let me now introduce my esteemed co-hosts for this week's show to my left. We once again do not have Andy Bottoms yet, one of the world's most respected bracketologists and the longtime president of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. He has his daughter's basketball practice, but he has pledged to join us after the first segment, so we look forward to welcoming Andy in then. And to my right, we have a man who has quickly become the president of the impromptu Freddie McSwain fan club that has popped up and become heavily populated over the past few weeks. He's a columnist for the big lead, and he is the person who I hold personally responsible for the sluggish attendance at Indiana's non-marquee home games this year due to his unyielding, incessant, and disrespectful negative commentary about the holy, pristine cathedral of basketball that is Simon Scott Assembly Hall. I hope you're proud of yourself, you jackwagon. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant from the past week in Indiana basketball? I mean, just because I don't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't go to the games. I never said that. I never advocated that. Uh, you know, I think that what has become really apparent with Indiana over the last few weeks is that this defense is for real. And we've talked about it on post game shows. We've talked about it uh, on the radio show as well. Um, but I, look, they can really get it done on the defensive end. And this is going to be the linchpin of the Archie Miller era. And, and it's, it's pretty amazing considering where they were last year to be able to turn this around and be such a good defensive team this year. It took a while to happen. There were certainly some stumbles along the way, but for the most part over the last, what is it? 10, 12 games, they've, they've become one of the best defensive teams in the nation. You look at it. And I know we've talked about this before. You look at it, you add some offensive talent, add some shooters and this looks like a team that could really contend in the Big Ten next year if they continue to build on on what they've established this this you know this year. They've won three straight games they had to win. You know, these aren't these haven't been world beating teams, but even when they haven't had their best offense, they've still brought that defensively, that defensive intensity, you know, and been able to shut opponents down and, and and win fairly comfortably. I think the Illinois game, there was a little back and forth there. There were a lot of free throws, so that kind of jacked the score up a little bit. Um, but at the same time, they were able to get stops when they needed to. They were able to rebound the basketball, and they were able to you know shut Illinois down when they needed to to win that game. And and 
if they can do that and continue to do that, and you saw them do it against Michigan State at home, you saw them do it against Purdue at home, um, and and you saw saw them do it against Illinois on the road for a long stretch before they kind of blew that game. Um, if they can do that game in game out, they're gonna be in every single game, and they're they're gonna be, and that's moving forward too, not just this year. If you can play that kind of defense, you're gonna be in every single game, and um, so I think that people, regardless of where the season ends up, regardless of what the record ends up being, where they finish, what postseason tournament they go to or don't go to. Um, I think it's worth noting how far this team has come and what the coaching staff has done and giving them the credit for how far this team, how much this team has grown. All right, here's what we are going to discuss this week. We will comment briefly on the explosive report that came out uh, just late Thursday night, right before we went on the air from Pete Thamel about uh, what is going on with the FBI probe into college basketball. And then we're going to take a more in-depth examination of the potential of Justin Smith and Al Durham. We talked about them a lot on the postgame show after the Illinois game, but I want to dig into those guys a little bit more. And then we'll get into some Big Ten tournament talk because a lot of people are starting to get optimistic about the Hoosiers' chances to make a run in New York. And so let's uh, let's indulge that while we can. Uh, and then we will end, as we usually do, with a smattering of additional question uh, questions, including one about how Indiana's on-court growth this season may impact Romeo Langford's upcoming decision. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. Uh, but first, this quick reminder, the next time that you are looking for tickets to a sporting event or concert, remember our friends at SeatGeek. You can download their app, which is incredibly convenient and easy to use, so we certainly recommend that. Or if you just want an easy-to-remember URL that will take you directly to the IU basketball ticket listings on SeatGeek's website, use the URL iutickets.shop. So, for example, say that you want to go to senior night, the IU-Ohio State game on February 23rd, both to see Indiana get a chance for a big victory, to see the senior speeches, and maybe to meet us because we will be there and we'd love to meet you all. So if you do go to that game, let us know. Uh, but if you want to go to that game, SeatGeek has you covered. You go to iutickets.shop and you can find the best prices available. So do that. Whether you're using the app, whether you're using that URL, iutickets.shop, you can find the best prices there. And if it's your first time using SeatGeek, don't forget the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. Use it when you make your first purchase, and you will get $20 back after that purchase. Again, the promo code is ASSEMBLY. All right, you are listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips as we uh, anxiously await Andy Bottoms' arrival uh, for this episode. Um, Ryan, real quick, you know, I hadn't planned on talking about this, but obviously the news broke right before we went live, so we should at least address it. If you haven't seen the report uh, by Pete Thamel for Yahoo Sports, it kind of updates and, and brings everybody up to speed on what's going on with the FBI probe into college basketball. And it's quite explosive without being very specific. And so if you read it, I think you'll see why there's not a lot for us to go on in terms of specifics and having a real in-depth conversation here. But certainly, it's an ominous article, uh, and it doesn't really give any timetable for when specifics may leak out about what teams and this, that, or the other. But the article suggests that we're talking, you know, every conference, 40, 50 teams, Hall of Fame coaches, and that if any of this stuff does leak, you know, before, uh, you know, the, the tournament, you know, that could be impacted. I think the, one of the lines in there was that, you know, half of the, the teams that were revealed in the Sweet 16 revealed would have any tournament wins vacated anyway. Uh, so that gives you, I guess, kind of an overview understanding for just how deep this thing might be. So, again, there's not a lot to go on. Don't want to talk about it for real long, but I want to at least bring it up and address it and get your thoughts on it, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, pretty shocking report that came out um by by pete thamel um 
But I think that when you've talked to people in this business who have dug into this at all, I mean, some people just, you know, that look, they, they know people who know people and everybody, and these are people who not prone to hyperbole that I've talked to at least are saying, yeah, this is going to change college basketball forever. Like, you know, I mean, that that's the kind of debt and I'm, I'm sorry, but that's pretty big, <laughs> you know, no matter how you slice it, that's enormous. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going to come out. I don't have any, uh, insight into that, but at the same time, these people who I trust are saying things that, you know, uh, paint this as the biggest scandal that will ever hit college athletics and that everybody's involved and that, you know, they the comparison that keeps coming up is the steroid scandal in baseball. And we all know how enormous that was and how that, you know, changed the game. At least we hope it did. Uh, we don't know if, you know, the users are just better than the testers. But um, it certainly led to some really hefty consequences for the people who were caught. Uh, and, and this is getting discussed in the same kind of terms as that, which means that it probably, you know, they're right, that it would be the biggest scandal in, in college sports history. So uh, we'll see. I'm sure we will discuss this maybe in an off-season show unless something breaks uh, big time. But Hopefully uh, in a I very am... schadenfreude way and not, not about not yes, discussing not, any specifics about our team. Not involving teams <laughs> that we enjoy discussing. Um, yeah. But no, I, I think that it's, it's certainly uh, – going to be pretty impactful and enormous when all the information is finally out there. Certainly. I mean, I, nobody I've talked to about this thinks it's, you know, just people blowing wind. Like they, they really think there's something real here. And by the way, when you talk about changing the game, it could change the game for the better in the long run. Of course. To get this yeah, all I mean, out I, in the open and maybe put some stuff over the table that's been under the table for a long time, which is what's yeah, created this I, mess. I think partially what you have to look at is it, it's going to be impactful no matter what happens, and it's going to create a shakeup, and it might be uneasy and pretty bad for a while. But I think the long-term effect will end up being positive. So, um, you know, We'll see. I mean, we don't know. I mean, we're 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 flying blind here as far as this goes. But yeah. uh, just from the people I've talked to, it, it it sounds like you know a reckoning is coming. Yep. All righty. Coming up on the assembly call, we discuss the long term potential of Indiana's two freshmen who stepped up big Wednesday night, Justin Smith and Al Durham, and hopefully Andy Bottoms will be here too. Stick with us on the assembly call. Hey, just a real quick note here. The next time that you are going to shop online for IU gear, use the URL iustore.shop. That will take you to the official IU online store where they have anything you could possibly want. Candy stripe pants, the Script Indiana warm-up shirt, all kinds of IU gear. And that URL, iustore.shop, is actually our affiliate URL. So when you use it and buy something, we get paid a commission. So it's a great way for you to shop for the IU gear that you need and to support the assembly call at the same time. Again, the URL is iustore.shop. Please bookmark it and use it the next time you're looking to buy IU gear. We appreciate it. Now back to the show. You 
are listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips. And yes, Andy Bottoms is here, as he promised that he would be. Don't forget, if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can join our live Thursday night broadcast or watch the video replays by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. All right, fellas, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to dive in a little bit more and talk about Justin Smith and Al Durham. The, again, as we mentioned, they've both been up and down. You know, They've had some brief flashes this season, but nothing consistent. And we clearly don't know yet if what we saw in that Illinois game was just another brief flash or maybe a harbinger of, of some positive play to come down the stretch. But I want to take a big picture view uh, with each guy, you know, based on what we've seen of them so far. And let's start with Justin Smith. And by the way, kudos to Justin from our Slack group uh, for, for suggesting this topic. Um, and Ryan, I want to start with you on Justin Smith, because you've obviously been really, really high on him ever since he committed. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of some of the strengths and weaknesses that we've seen from him, from a strength perspective, he's a smarter offensive basketball player than I expected, especially against his zone. Uh, you know, he's been a good offensive rebounder. He gets himself into good positions. He's just really struggled to finish. You know, his shooting has been a little bit inconsistent, and his finishing around the rim has been a little bit inconsistent. That was maybe one of the most encouraging things we saw against Illinois was that was better. And defensively, he's still got a ways to go. The athletic talent is there, but the recognition, the awareness, uh, you know, the quickness in decision-making, and some of the toughness that you need to defend like Archie Miller wants is not there. And, you know, again, a a freshman needing to adjust, uh, that's not totally unexpected. What what are some other strengths and weaknesses of his that have stood out? And how does your assessment of his long-term potential, how is it now after seeing him play for 20-some games this year? Oh, we, we haven't seen close to the best of him. I mean, I think that, I think that you're, um, he's a guy who is going to continue to get better, who's going to probably, you know, rise exponentially as, as, as he develops and gets more playing time. But what we're seeing from him is he's a very smart, as you said, well-rounded, smooth basketball player um, that is just starting to get confident enough in his ability to make an impact at the college level. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's, uh, I, I don't know, it's hard to say early on, you know, where his ceiling is, but I think that you look at the guy, he's athletic, but he's not Troy Williams athletic, like jump out of the gym, but he's a better basketball player than Troy was maybe into before his junior year. Um, you know, Justin is just smarter. He's more solid. He's more well-rounded. Um, there's just so much to his game that's that, that has potential. I love the touch on his shot. He's his, his jumper is not refined yet, but you can tell it's going to be a weapon. Um, I, I like that he's getting the confidence to start driving now as opposed to just, you know, catching the ball on the baseline and going up. Um, I, I like that he is attacking the glass on the offensive end. He's not getting there yet, but um, you know, he, you can see that the, 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 the desire to do that and be a really good rebounder is there. And I think it's great for Justin that he's playing with a guy like Jawan Morgan, who is sort of showing him the path to be that guy. So um, I'm as high on him as I've been. I think that he's going to be uh, a great player in Indiana. Uh, I, I think that he just needs to continue to develop and, of course, get stronger. And that's the big thing for all freshmen, all high school players and all freshmen, you know, in college basketball, just get stronger, get used to, you know, 
not getting every single call. When you're a star in high school, it's easy to get every single call. It's easy to finish at the rim because you're more athletic and stronger than everybody else. You know, all that stuff. You've just kind of got to fight and battle through that and get used to it, uh, you know, at that next level. I don't think he's going to have a problem with that. I think it's going to take some time, though. Andy, where do you stand on Justin? Has he been better uh, than you expected, uh, you know, about what you expected or worse? Uh, I think probably a, a little better. I think he's gotten to play. Maybe I say that because he's gotten to play more than than I might have anticipated him being able to play. And I think part of that is Duran going down. So it's a little bit hard to say. I think and I think when you put it in that light, he's probably performed a little bit better than you might have expected just because, uh, you know, he really had to step in and play a more major role. And there have been games when he was absolutely critical uh, to IU winning the game. I think last night was certainly one of those. And, and the, you know, the first Minnesota game are the, are the two that really stand out. But, um, you know, I think great experience for him to look back on. And, and if you really kind of planned out a blueprint for him before the season began, he's probably played more than you would have expected. You know, struggle to fit. Sometimes I think defense has been a struggle um, for him, where you know you're not just getting by on athleticism and things like that. Where he's trying to to figure out the scheme, but I think you've seen improvement with him along with other guys. You watch him rotate on defense. There's definitely a, a big difference l- looking at him now in that regard than uh, than what he looked like earlier in the season. So I was trying to think of a, a comp for him. Trying to think of a comp for both of these guys. And Ryan, I think mentioning Troy Williams is is a good one. I mean, those guys have some similarities in terms of their athleticism. Justin certainly does not have the irrational confidence. Uh, that Troy had for better or worse because quite the opposite when, actually right and you know when Troy was on he could be dynamic but he could also take you out of games at times especially when he was younger so let me throw this comparison out to you and and, and especially how it might track for Justin's career because through his freshman year looking at the numbers he's basically been kind of a rich man's Will Sheehy based on what Sheehy did as a freshman Sheehy averaged 4.8 points 2.1 boards you know he had an offensive rating of about 100.8 uh, effective field goal percentage of 51.2% and played 34.5% of the minutes. Justin Smith is basically a tick above all of those numbers. And the reason why that one came to mind is the athleticism for one, uh, the fact that, you know, she, he was a guy I think that we all felt would probably, he was a good mid range shooter. The three point shooting never quite materialized on a truly, you know, consistent prolific level. Um, uh, you know, I think Justin hopefully profiles to be even a little bit better three-point shooter uh, than Will. And and Will's a guy, even though his senior year was disappointing, there I think that showed maybe some of the limitations of his game, but also you know just that roster was kind of crazy that year. But he's a guy as a junior was sixth man of the year, uh, and obviously he was more of a personality than Justin. So I don't think Justin's going to have that kind of dynamic impact from a a personality perspective. But similar type athlete, similar type intelligence, kind of working around the basket. Um, where, where do you kind of fall on that? Do you think that's a decent comparison um, for Justin and in terms of what you think his potential can be as a player? I think his ceiling is way higher than Sheehy's. Um, and also, if uh, Justin Smith turns out to be Will Sheehy, I will lose about five years off my life, I think. We all <laughs> remember my relationship with Will Sheehy. Shows were more fun back then. Uh, <laughs> for you. Um, no, I, look, I think... The comparison is understandable given their numbers. I, I just think that Justin is a much more well-rounded player. I think he's going to be a better shooter just because I like his release and the rotation he gets on it a lot more. I think that he kind of over-rotates his body a little bit, uh, and that's why we're seeing some of his shots come off short, long, side-to-side, whatever. Um, but I think that he's got the makeup of a guy who could be a much better player than 
you know, a guy who wins a six man of the year. I think that, and look, she, he was great as a junior and, and winning that six man of the year. And he was very key to that team. But I do think that, that Smith's potential is much higher than she, he's um, if he develops as he's supposed to, I mean, that's, you know, that's why we call it a ceiling and not, you know, a projection, you know, and a prediction. Um, so it's going to take some time and it's going to take some work, but I, I feel like he's a guy who could really uh, surpass what will she be. He, she, he was able to accomplish. Andy, that was, that was just laying bait out for Ryan to try to seriously you know, get him something there. Um, yeah. I think an interesting one, he's a little bit shorter than this guy, but Christian Watford is one that kind of came yeah. to mind mm. for me. Um, That's not a bad call. That's a good one. Could step out and make shots, and I think we've seen that from Justin, albeit inconsistently. But I think that's something that he'll work on a lot in the offseason. I, I, I was able to listen to a little bit of Archie's radio show tonight. He talked that somebody asked him kind of about Juwan, like what can he get better at? Um, he talked about outside shooting. I think he'd say the same thing with um, with Justin Smith to be more consistent there. But I mean that baseline jump shot he hit last night. You know some of the threes that he took in that Minnesota game. He has a good you know a good shot. I think could Great develop. Shot. Uh, develop that with time and um and i think watford really became a good rebounder over the course of his time at iu to the yeah. point where by the end he was he was really effective in that regard and I think better you defender can see too that. he became a much better yeah, defender much better. too yeah. yeah and i think you could see the similar progression from justin smith so he's a little bit shorter but that was one that um, good one. that was one that came to mind for me he's a better athlete than christian but that's a yeah it's a good one there's i mean you're never gonna have a perfect one-to-one comparison but i would say yeah. maybe somewhere between those two guys yeah. you know in their strengths and weaknesses and 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 um, you know, where they end up is, is a fair comparison. I think with Watford, he got to play so much early that I think he developed pretty fast. Whereas I think Smith is going to have to put in a ton of work in the off season because, you know, he's not, he's playing, as you said, what, like 35% of the mid 34% of the minutes. Yeah. Um, he's going to have to put in a lot of work. And, and, you know, I think that the, the Colin Hartman injury and, and the Deron Davis injuries both were, you know, tough for the team, but they were really good for a guy like Justin Smith because he got, thrown into the mix you know very quickly uh, at that point you're listening to the assembly call i'm jared morris here with andy bottoms and ryan phillips and we were talking about indiana's two freshmen who had big games against illinois we just got done talking about justin smith and now andy let's turn our attention to al durham uh, and i think in terms of some of the strengths that al has shown we've talked about before how effective he has been at driving to the basket at driving contact at drawing contact and even finishing through contact he has really showed uh, a strong ability to do that which we figured coming in from how he profiled as a high school prospect his shooting has been inconsistent uh, but he is four for his last six so that's showing some improvement from three yeah fr- from three yes the shooting from three he's not a guy who creates very much you know he doesn't have a very high assist rate um, doesn't make a ton of mistakes either uh, and on the defensive end is a very willing defender uh, but can certainly like a lot of freshmen like Justin Smith can get a little bit lost at times and just needs to gain more strength and experience um, but in terms of Al you know, again, and his minutes have been way up and down from the start of the season to the middle to then, you know, what he did last night. Where do you kind of fall on him and how you project him moving forward? I mean, I think he's another guy based on circumstances of the roster has gotten to play more than you would have projected early in the season. The Curtis Definitely. Jones transfer had really opened the door uh, for him. And, and in addition to that, you know, his his good play early on earned him additional playing time as well. And I think that may or may not have, you know, played a factor in, you know, Curtis Jones ended, ended up leaving. So it's a, you know, maybe a chicken and egg type conversation there. But um, I, so I think he's, I think he's played well. I mean, you look at the game last night. I thought against a, a really high pressure defense, showed as much poise as anybody in terms of taking care of the basketball and, and really 
when he needed to, slowing down, gathering, and then attacking, as opposed to really allowing himself to get sped up. Those are obviously the kinds of things that, um, you know, will serve him well and should only get better with time as he learns uh, even better how to pick his spots and things like that. So I, I've been uh, I've been impressed with him. I mean, I think the things that everybody said he would be pretty good at. I think he's been pretty good at, and, and that would be defense and, um, you know, being able to drive and, and, and finish just because of his length around the basket. You know, he's a, a bigger guard in that role than I use had uh, for the, for the most part in recent years. And I think the question marks that people had in terms of him being able to shoot the ball have been the things that you'd probably point to as question marks. So um, I think he's, he's on, on balance been what you would expect him to be. Can I throw out a comparison for Al? I struggled a little oh, bit boy. with this one. But the, the, the guy who came to mind in terms of recent memory is Stan Robinson, Andy. You know, a guy whose strength was driving to the basket, was not shooting. He was 3-for-26 from three-point range his first two years at Indiana before he transferred to Rhode Island and has been about a 35% shooter at Rhode Island. And a guy who his efficiency has gone up at Rhode Island, even though his free throw rate has gone down. And if Al can start making more outside shots, we could see that happen with him, too. You know, defensively, Stan was, I think, much better than Al at this stage. He was just sturdier. He was quicker. Uh, Stan's a guy now. He could guard centers, I believe. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, and he's a guy now who has the fifth fifth best steal rate in the country. And Al is not a guy who's generated a lot of steals. So, again, it's not a perfect comparison. But Stan is now a guy who, you know, from a freshman who was wildly inconsistent and couldn't shoot, is playing 66% of the minutes on a pretty good Rhode Island team and has turned himself into a decent spot-up shooter. So if you look for maybe what the ceiling of Al Durham is, I think a guy like Stan Robinson, what he has turned himself into, that seems to me like what the ceiling could be for Al. Is that, do you think that's fair to say? I mean, the obvious comparison that you missed is that they both um, shoot with with either hand. Um, <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes within the flow of the game, sometimes seasons. But I'm getting uh, flashbacks. Please stop. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, but no, I I think that's fair. I, yeah, I struggled to think of one just because of his his kind of size and and length that he has on the perimeter. He doesn't really remind you of a lot of guards that you know were there in the in the Korean era as the point guards tended to be. Um, if you project him as a point guard, you know they didn't they tended to be smaller and the the two guards tended to shoot the ball better so it's a little bit hard to you know kind of fit him into somebody from the Korean era so i think that's probably as good a one as any i think defensively you know you certainly can see a ceiling like that there um based on some of the things that he's shown this year and i think what he's done better than stan was really again going back to that poise and and trying to take care of the basketball again not creating a ton for others based on the assist rate but um you know good straight line drive guy and uh, i think one who's uh, who's really going to grow. And I think when he came in, everybody said, you know, as a four-year player, watch him progress and see how that goes. And I think he's had, uh, you know, a good first year as you you start to project him forward. Ryan, your thoughts on Al? Just don't turn into Stan Robinson, the Indiana version. Uh, if you want to turn into the Rhode Island version, okay. But don't put us through the middle bit. Just go straight to <laughs> the, That's... you know, but yeah, uh, no, I, I think that's a fair comparison, but I also think that Al maybe is a little bit smoother offensively than, than Stan is and ever has been. Um, and while his shot is kind of jerky, um, I, I think that it's certainly smoother than, than Stance has ever looked, I think. Yeah. 
All righty. Well, look, I think both those guys have a lot of potential. Both those guys have shown some good moments. So hopefully they can take what they did against Illinois, build on it. And if Indiana can start getting a little bit more consistent contributions from those guys, you know, now you start looking at these games against Iowa and Nebraska and Ohio State and into the Big Ten tournament. Those are guys off the bench who can give Indiana a big lift. So hopefully that continues. All right. Coming up, we are going to look ahead to the Big Ten tournament because there is some growing optimism about Indiana's chances, and we want to indulge that while we still can. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. You are listening to the Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com slash join right now or at the next convenient time so that you can learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter because if you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then you really do need to be on our newsletter list. Over 5,000 IU fans are on it, uh, and you will get, when you join, our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails. Andy and I tag-teamed the uh, Illinois one because it was a little late, but we still had it out ready for you at 6.15 Central Time the next morning, as we always do. Uh, And those emails are always free, and they will make you a smarter IU basketball fan. So go to assemblycall.com slash join and make sure that you are on that list. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy uh, Bottoms, Ryan Phillips, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Big Ten tournament. And usually that, you know, (laughs) you talk about the Big Ten tournament with IU fans, immediately people start to snicker uh, if they don't just run out of the room terrified at the mere thought of the Big Ten tournament, given Indiana's history in it. But uh, Scotchy in our Slack group earlier today said, hey, Big Ten tournament, new time, new venue, new coach, new attitude. You know, you're our only hope. Uh, you know, he, he thinks teams like Purdue and Minnesota or and Michigan State playing them on a neutral court could be beatable. He's got some hope. So, Andy, Ryan, is there reason for hope? And I think it's especially interesting to be asking this question on the heels of seeing Wisconsin beat Purdue and seeing Penn State be up, what was it, 42 to 19 over Ohio State, uh, you know, here on Thursday evening. I know Indiana's history has been terrible, Andy, but... Is this possibly the year with Indiana peaking at the right time, potentially, that they could make a little bit of noise in the Big Ten tournament? Or is this crazy talk? Uh, I mean, I think it's hard for everyone to get over the mental hurdle of of believing that, that this is something that could be viewed as successful for IU. So from that standpoint, it, it's a little bit hard to uh, kind of shift your mindset that way. But I think the positive things are the team is, is playing as well as they have uh, all season at this point and um, have really proven – with the exception of that Ohio State game, if you if you look at the top teams in the Big Ten, the you know Purdue they played very well at IU, uh, Michigan State they played well at IU, uh, and uh, you know M- Michigan feels like it was forever ago, so it's hard to uh, really look too much that way. And, and Ohio State, um, I don't know, is a team that will necessarily blow you off the off the floor. Um, so you know, I think when you look at that, IU has played well against some of the top teams in the league and IU has more confidence at this point in the season than they did before. Um, but certainly as a fan, I struggle mentally to get over the hurdle of actually believing that something positive could happen. Um, but, uh, but certainly if there was a team that was, you know, peaking, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but you know, a team that was really playing well and had some momentum going into it. I think this is a different, uh, a different story than what we've seen a lot of times in the past. Well, Penn state also looks like a team that, uh, that is starting to peak, you know, and Ryan to play devil's advocate with this, you know, Indiana has won three straight games. Yes. None of those teams are in the top 100 in Ken Palm. And 
you had your shot against Michigan State. You had your shot against Purdue in your own building in games that were winnable, and you let them slip away. So why should we necessarily think that on a neutral floor that would be any better when you couldn't get them at home? And we'll see what Indiana can do at home against Ohio State. So I understand, you know, kind of the optimism and the excitement and the hope. And as sports fans, look, that's what we've got. So, you know, I mean, I think we should all indulge it. But I kind of agree with Andy. You know, the history of the Big Ten tournament is just, you know, they're staring us in the face, waiting to beat down any hope that we might have. And as excited as we want to be about this three-game winning streak, it is important to remember who these games are against. And now I think we really need to see what Indiana does in these next three games before we start, uh, you know, booking any trips for the uh, Saturday-Sunday games in the Big Ten tourney. Yeah, I get the shakes when I think of our history in the Big Ten tournament. So uh, I think it's fair to to be cautious when when projecting out. And and again, yeah, different era, different style of play, all that stuff. But you know what? It's it's hard to sit here and and be optimistic about it uh, just because of the past. So uh, it's always been a mess. It's always been tough, no matter who the coach has been. I mean, this has always been a thing with Indiana. But you know what? That doesn't change until it does. And so this team has a chance to change that, maybe win a couple games. Um, but what I also think you've got to understand about this team is it it plays defense. And when you play defense, you have a chance to win every game if you play the right way. And and so we've said that for weeks. I feel like I've beaten that horse until it's been dead, come back to life and died again. So uh, it's, you know, if you just play defense and you focus on doing the little things, you can be in every game. And that's all you can ask is late in the game to be in the game and ready to, you know, have a chance down the stretch. And they've done that a few times this year with some good teams, but they haven't finished it out. We're still looking for that big win from them. Um, and it hasn't come yet. And and I think we're all, uh, we're all just waiting for that one to sort of that, that big win to sort of come. We're also in, doing- all, in all honesty though. I mean, if I try to think of good memories from the big 10 tournament, Kirk Haston blocking Frank Williams at the end of that Illinois game, to preserve the win is literally the only positive memory I can think of from the big Victor Oladipo 360 dunk against Illinois. I think it was. Yeah. Year. That's the only, like I'm, I'm literally, that's but all that I'm wasn't necessarily like a good game, but yeah, you're no, right. It's I mean, a that terrible was a game, but I'm talking about single point. memories. Like, yeah. you know, it was, he had a 360 dunk. That's the, you know, that's, there's your positive. I know all the memories are bad. Like I have to sift through so many bad ones to try and find the good ones. Yeah, those two might honestly be the only ones. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, not to bring everybody down. Sorry, move on. Hey, you know, okay, okay. Here's here's the other reason for hope is we're still due for about ten good shooting games. So maybe we're just saving them all for the end of the season. You know, who knows? You'd have to shoot so well for it to even out, Jared. (laughs) I know, but I don't even want to think about it. Maybe, maybe. Okay, so Andy, here's a question that we got. I think it's just I think it's important to to put out there just people kind of understand how these things work. So this is from. Rob. And he says, in this current season, would IU have benefited from not getting a bye in the first round of the Big Ten tournament? Would it have improved our bracketology profile or chances for the NIT to play and win an extra game? I responded to him on Slack thusly. I said, I don't think it would matter because the issue is not going to be a lack of wins, you know, if Indiana could win two of these last three, but a lack of quality wins and beating, you know, some moribund Big Ten team isn't really going to help with that. And it actually just introduces a chance, you know, for Big Ten tournament bad luck to happen and then to lose on a neutral court before you could even get to a game that might matter. So I just don't see any reason totally be on brand for Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, is that, is that the right way to look at it? Even for the NIT too, that, you know, just adding, notching one more win against a, you know, you know, a 100 level team, it's probably not going to move the needle uh, more than what the risk would be. Right. 
yeah, I mean, the reality is that the teams that play in the first round are the teams that finish 11th through 14th. So even if you were the t- best of those, you'd be playing the 14th place team, which doesn't do you any good at all. So I think you get into the, you know, get into the second round. At this point, I, you need to realistically win it. So what to me, what you would want is a chance to play, you know, maybe you end up the sixth seed is, is somewhat realistic. You play it, you know, the, either the 11 or 14 who've already played a game the day before, um, as opposed to playing somebody fresh. So if you're the seven, you play the 10 seed who's, you know, starting the same time that you are, get somebody who's already played a game, uh, and goes into it that way. And then, you know, if you're the six, you'd play the three, uh, presumably after that, and then, you know, see what happens when you get to the semifinals from there. But yeah, at, at this point, it certainly wouldn't help just to win a game against a, a bad team, uh, which is the only kind of team that you'd play in those first uh, in those first games on that February 28th day. But certainly everybody go to New York and watch the 11th through 14th place teams play on the on February 28th. That should be a great time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Make, make, make Jim Jelani really happy. Uh, this is the <laughs> assembly call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips talking about. Hey, Indiana's chances to to make a little noise in the Big Ten tournament. And Andy, you kind of alluded uh, to the answer to our last question on this topic, which is from IU Jelly. Uh, He wants to know, what is our best chance at winning the Big Ten tournament in terms of matchups through the championship game? Ideally speaking, who would we want to match up with? So you kind of alluded to there how being a six seed would be good because then you would get to play a team that has played the day before, uh, presumably would be, you know, a little bit tired, not quite as fresh. Uh what what would you see as being the most advantageous path? And I guess there's two ways to look at this. There's the way to look at it for where could, you know, what could actually be the easiest path to winning the Big Ten tournament? And is there any path, given who Indiana could play and maybe beat in the first couple of rounds, that even if they don't win it but make it to the championship game, that they could enter any type of NCAA tournament bubble or at the very least would, would help them for the NIT even if they don't win the Big Ten tournament because of the wins I'm- they would get? Yeah, I mean, I think they could help themselves from an NIT perspective, but probably not until you would. You'd probably have to win one game, and then the next game you play might help you in that regard. So by the time, if again, if you're the six, you know, playing the three, or if you're the seven seed playing the two seed, or something like that. I mean, those are the kinds of wins that are going to actually help you. You know, again, beating the winner of the eleven fourteen game in that scenario doesn't really do a lot for you. Um, so yeah, I think you've got to. Again, there just aren't enough quality wins to be had in the Big Ten at this point. So that's where it really becomes difficult. You need to beat, you know, one of Ohio State, Michigan, you know, probably two of Ohio State, Michigan State, Purdue. And in order to beat two of them, you're probably going to have to win it because you you wouldn't be able to play all three on your way to the championship at that point. So um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, I, I guess the best path is probably avoid Michigan state at all costs and hope for the best against anybody else that you play. Um, and, and who knows how that's going to play out now with Ohio state, uh, you know, still down in the second half as we record this and Purdue already losing. So, you know, who really knows who that one seed is going to be, but at this point they, they look like they're all going to have two losses heading into the last few games of the season. Ryan, do you agree? I think we're all in agreement that Michigan state's the last team that we would like to see. I mean, just I mean, they're the best team in the Big Ten overall, and they're clearly an awful matchup for Indiana. Yeah, forget the Big Ten tournament. That's just true every day of the week. I mean, you know, it just seems like that's a team that, you know, you actually uh, in in normal years it's Wisconsin, but I actually think now we match up much better with Wisconsin because of the style we play. Um, so yeah, I would say that Michigan State always the the team you don't want to see at this time of year. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting. I mean, any any final thoughts, Andy, uh, about about the Big Ten term as we head in? I mean, I guess I guess the other thought would be, okay, we you know that you wouldn't want to face Michigan State out of Purdue and Ohio State, and we're going to get another chance to face Ohio State at home. 
which one of those teams do you think Indiana would be more likely to beat on a neutral floor? I mean, I guess I would tend to say Ohio State. Um, I think you just go back to what you know Purdue did with with Haas and the size, and you know even when Michigan State beat them, they were basically just you know ran a bunch of guys at him, tried to find ways to push him out just a couple steps further on the floor, and didn't have a ton of success doing it, and basically tried to make him beat you, which is a little bit of what IU did, quite frankly. Um, but I, I guess I would say Ohio State. I mean, they've really outperformed expectations. So at some point, is it a you know luck runs out type of type of scenario, and and you have that, or maybe find a way to get Ohio State matched up with Penn State, who apparently is their kryptonite, um, and then you could be able to you know maybe face Penn State instead. But uh, I guess I would say Ohio State of those two. Although I think they you know they played really well against Purdue. I just think it was um, you know, probably a, a, a taller task, more depth, more talent more experience um, to, to have to play Purdue in that scenario. Yeah. All righty. Uh, coming up in our final segment, we will answer your questions. We've got a good hypothetical, an interesting one about Romeo, and then someone asked us for our favorite IU dunks and dunkers of all time. So we'll get into that as well. It's coming up. are listening to the assembly call i'm jared morris here with andy bottoms and ryan phillips and we are wrapping up another week of talking about indiana basketball and this is our fourth segment so that means it is the time in the show when we kick around some of the questions that you all sent in actually this entire episode has been kick around segments that you all sent in so let me just start by thanking you all for being so generous with your ideas both on twitter and in slack because it really makes preparing for the show uh, easier and more interesting because we know exactly what you would like to hear us talk about and we that's exactly what we want to give you so really appreciate all the feedback that you guys give us on a weekly basis uh, and again if you ever want to get in that slack group just send me an email jared at assemblycall.com really good discussions going on in there uh, we'd love to see that community continue to grow andy let me kick this first question to you this is from jeremy thompson and i've seen a lot of iu fans kind of playing this hypothetical you know kind of what if game uh, and Jeremy wonders, what if IU played all season like they're playing now? What would their record be potentially? And are we talking NCAA tournament instead of NIT? It, obviously, the you know I think the obvious illusion there is to Indiana State, you know Fort Wayne, Wisconsin, you know probably that Illinois game that you dropped. You know you flip those, you turn those losses into wins because you're playing a little bit better. What kind of difference does that make for Indiana? So if you turn those losses into wins to me, then you're Nebraska at that point. I mean, that's, you know, I, one of, they're, they're a somewhat hotly debated, you know, bubble team at this point. And the reality is they've hardly beaten anybody. Their best win is against Michigan at home. And they, they've, you know, haven't had, you know, they've had a couple not so great losses, but they haven't had any, you know, really subpar losses at that point. So it certainly would erase some of the, you know, games that's like, man, I can't believe we lost that game. Um, and and perhaps had they played that way in other games, you know, maybe they were able to pull off one of the games earlier in the season. Um, but I think if all that happened by playing that way was that you took away the Indiana State, Fort Wayne, Illinois, maybe Wisconsin losses, if you kind of look at the, you know, the four, four quote-unquote worst losses that you had, certainly I think you're in the conversation, but what you still have that that is holding you back would be, you know, a lack of quality wins. Now, if you spin that forward and say, hey, well, maybe they win – you know, one or two of these other games that were close. And I think certainly you'd be, you know, 
in projected fields or at the, at the at a minimum in the conversation. So I think if you flip those four games, you're in the conversation, but I don't think you have a super compelling case in the way that I don't think Nebraska has a terribly compelling, compelling case today. Yeah. And as I mentioned on the show last night, you know, those losses didn't happen in a vacuum and maybe Indiana's not playing as well right now. Were it not for those losses? Cause maybe those That's were important. Key. Yeah. Maybe those were important moments for a team looking to change culture. So, but you know, if they played, all season like they're playing now maybe they beat duke maybe they beat michigan state maybe yeah. they beat purdue you know so it's it's eh, you, you, but again as you said they probably had to go through some of those growing pains to get to where they are now and be able to look back and say oh yeah let's not go back there you know yep uh next question this is from josh do you think with how the seasons are going with indiana and vanderbilt it would help sway romeo's decision at all i feel like archie has shown a lot more of his capabilities and in my opinion this should bode well for us but i could be, be clueless ryan i want to get your insight on this but you know i think you know you read the interviews that alex bozich has done with tim langford over at inside the hall and you hear what mr langford has talked about with really being interested to watch indiana and they're impressed with you know archie's offense and the shots that are being created and how romeo would fit into it and mentioned the improvement I think absolutely that the work that Archie is doing and the team's improvement makes a huge difference because Romeo is only going to play one year of college basketball. And while there are lots of factors that are going to go into his decision, one of them is obviously going to be he's going to want to compete for some kind of important championship, be it a conference championship or a national championship for his one year. And given where Indiana was at the start of the season, that didn't look like it would be likely. But now with kind of the the trajectory Indiana's on, you know, you can maybe see that a little bit more if you add a guy like Romeo. So, and, you know, Vanderbilt obviously is is struggling. They have a losing record. I don't know how bad it is now. But I think They're it absolutely— 10, 10 and 16 right now, 4-9 yeah. and nine in the SEC after uh, coming back and winning last night. Yeah, but, I mean, Ryan, I absolutely think that that is going to help Indiana, um, you know, have a, as good a shot as possible with Romeo. Yeah, I mean, look— Count me as somebody who's never going to uh, rely on a 17-year-old, 18-year-old to make the right decision. But, uh, you know, I think that if you if he has the right people advising him, I think you do have to look at what Indiana has done this year and how they've improved as certainly a mark in Indiana's favor. And at the same time, you have to understand that look at the development for some of the players this year under Archie. And, you know, let's give the rest of the coaching staff and the strength, you know, staff credit they've really developed some of these guys. And, it, you know, I don't think that the first factor, you, you said that maybe the first factor would be competing for something like that. I think Arch, or, uh, uh, Romeo's going to want to get better. I think that's the number one thing, is that he's going to want to develop and move forward. And you look at some of the freshmen, you look at Jawan Morgan, you look at some of these other guys, they have gotten better as the season's gone along and gotten better from last year as well. So I think that's a huge factor that has definitely shown up in Indiana's favor. Yep. All right, and let's go to our last question. This is a fun one. This comes from East Coast Hoosier, who wonders, what are your favorite IU dunks? Who is the best IU dunker of all time? Clearly, you know, we are not old enough to go way back uh, and talk about all the great dunkers that Indiana has had because there have been many. Uh, but, you know, immediately when this question was asked, the dunks that came to mind for me were some of OG's just those incredible explosions down the lane that he had, if you remember, at, at Maryland, at Michigan State, where it just felt like he jumped over any, everyone and finished with so much ferocity. Uh, and then, of course, you know, from earlier in the Tom Crean era, you've got the Pritch Slap, which is just incredibly memorable, and then the Sheehy Slam uh, against Iowa. And then if you really want to go old school, I mean, I still remember being mesmerized anytime Calvert went baseline and combined both grace and power for a dunk. Uh, and it really... 
you want to talk about best dunkers of all time. This is not a name that many people will probably remember and didn't do a whole lot on the court. But Steve Hart was a guy in on those mid-90s teams. Actually, I think he only played for one or two years who had ridiculous ups. Um, and I remember a couple of, uh, of pretty good dunks by him. Uh, so I don't know if he's the best dunker of all time, but that's a name that some people might not remember uh, who, had some, uh, who had some pretty good hops. Andy, we already know who Ryan's what Ryan's going to pick for this, so we can skip over him. No, you don't. <laughs> What's your favorite dunk of all time? Uh, the Steve Hart reference was great. That guy could not shoot a lick. He yeah. would have. I mean, it was like you'd see him, and you could tell it was him because he could jump higher than everybody to get rebounds. But then whenever he jumped to shoot the ball, you're like, there's just no chance that this is going in. So, um, yeah, that was a good a good callback though for him for sure. Um, I, I don't really, I mean, the Victor almost dunk was about as good as anything. I, yeah. I, the Pritch slap to me stands Michigan? out because Michigan. it was so unexpected. Um, yeah, where that you was were just insane. like, there seemed like there was, you know, you could have bet anything and you would have thought there's no way he's the guy that would throw it down. So, uh, I guess I would say that one just cause it stands out as, as so unexpected, but we should give Ryan his time. We're running out of time. So uh, give him his, his chance. Victor, probably my favorite, not necessarily because the dunks were as big, but because he was so smooth and fun to watch with it. Uh, but a guy who gets forgotten is uh, Roderick Wilmot was a heck of a dunker. He was a super athletic guy. He was a lot of fun as a dunker, uh, you know, if we're talking mid-2000s. Um, but, yeah, I loved Victor, of course. Will she? he had some great ones. I think people actually think of Rod more as a shooter now because of what he did his senior year and some of those shooting yeah. outbursts that he had. Which but I- he was just... He was an unbelievable athlete, really was. I mean, when he would jump for his jump shot, you'd see how high he's off the floor. I mean, it it looked like his feet were at the guy defending his chest. I mean, he would get so high off the floor in his jump shot, and when he used that for dunks, it was pretty amazing. Another great dunker, Andy, Greg Graham, obviously. Guy had hops. Certainly. He had, he had great hops. <laughs> all right. Uh, great questions. We thank you all for, uh, for sending those in. And that will do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We really appreciate you being here. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep The Assembly Call going and to keep growing. And we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com support so that if you do want to support the show, there are a number of options and we encourage you to choose whichever one is most convenient. On that page, you will find ways to donate, including how to set up a monthly recurring donation or annual recurring donation, as many folks have. Or you can submit a one-time donation. Again, that is assemblycall.com support. Or you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop, and we will get a commission if you use that URL and make a purchase. Alrighty, thank you so much again for being here. Thank you for your support. We'll talk to you next time. Go Hoosiers! Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. 
Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.